My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me again for the Adventure Games podcast. I am joined by Damon L. Wakes. Hello, Damon. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. We we met at AdventureX, and I meant to speak to you sooner, but now we've eventually found a time to speak. And um, now this, this might be a little tiny bit different than normal, because most of the other people I've spoken to make, well, adventure games, but visual adventure games. And I have had a few requests to speak to some more developers of interactive fiction. And so that's what you've mainly been working on as well, correct? Uh, yeah, that's very much my kind of thing. Well, look forward to hearing, as I said, your, uh, your, your work. It's, it looks very interesting, and I look forward to hearing more about it. Now, before we start talking about your work, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself very quickly and then just speak about if you have any favorite adventure games or any favorite interactive fiction that you like to play yourself. Well, I'm uh, Damon L. Wakes. Uh, I'm an author and narrative designer. Um, I think I'm possibly best known for Lovely Pleasant Tea Time Simulator, which was one of Rock, Paper, Shotgun's free games of the week at one point, um, which was a real surprise. I wrote it in two days. Um, And uh, I occasionally do um, talks and workshops on Twine, the uh, interactive fiction software, which is pretty much what got me into this. It's uh, got a really shallow learning curve. It's great for getting started. As I said, I was at the Narrowscope conference where there was mainly about interactive fiction as well, and that's where they, some of the people there spoke to me about Twine. And I believe I spoke, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I spoke with a person who works with the creator of Twine. So um, so he, he was definitely very interested <laughs> in that. And now before we get on to your games and your interactive fiction, I know you've just released at the end of last year a book. So you've all, you mentioned that you're an author. And mm-hmm. I believe this book uh, would probably be of interest to a lot of adventure game players as well. You've just released a book called Ten Little Astronauts, uh, correct? So what can you tell us about this book? Uh, Ten Little Astronauts is a hard sci-fi reimagining of Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Um, so it takes the basic premise that there are uh, 10 people stuck together, in this case, on a vast interstellar, interstellar spacecraft. And they realize very early on that one of them is a murderer. And they have to find out who it is while also repairing the spacecraft so that they don't all um, freeze or run out of air. <laughs> wow, no, that, that sounds like a fascinating premise. And as I mentioned to you before we recorded, it's almost as if, you know, I, I know we're talking about there was this, a series or something kind of maybe like it, but I just thought, wh- why didn't anybody else come up with this? You know, it's an, it's an ingenious premise because as we know in, in space, no one can hear you scream. But um, but how did you come up with the idea um, of this, uh, you know, murder mystery, hard sci-fi set in space? Oh, the, uh, the very first chapter I wrote for a um, first page of a murder mystery competition at the Winchester Isis Festival. And um, I was pretty well set on having the, uh, the 
first body discovered on the first page. That seemed like the kind of inciting incident. And, you know, if you want to jump right in, that's the way to do it. And I realized that if I wanted to do this classic, um, somebody in this room is the murderer setup, the easiest way of establishing that was basically to move all the characters as far away from any other possible suspects as I could. And space was pretty much the furthest away from anywhere you can get. Um, so just having that extremely remote setting immediately answers a lot of questions that actually Agatha Christie takes a few chapters to to set up herself. Um, so that was where it started. And then I pretty much carried on from there when I needed a final project for my MA and uh, ended up doing the whole thing. So I presume you're a fan of Agatha Christie yourself? I've pretty okay. much only read and then there were none. That's, um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's such an important book just mm. on its own. Um, I mean, I'm a fan of Agatha Christie, the person, but I haven't read a whole lot of her other books. Um, the uh, Witness for the Prosecution is the other okay. the other thing of hers that I'm familiar with, but that's only a short story. Yeah. No, because uh, as I mentioned to you as well, uh, before and then they were known as probably my favorite book uh, of all time so no pressure <laughs> um, no it's what one of my favorite books anyway so when I first found out about this I thought I really really need to check this out and uh, I really wanted to talk to you about it as well and now you also mentioned that it's uh, hard sci-fi so is it you know so it's, it's is there a lot of like tech technical things as well as a murder mystery as well so did you how did you manage to balance the two together well, um, it wasn't so much a matter of balancing it as the uh, the fact that the science had to be fairly solid in order to support the murder mystery. Um, if right. you have a whole lot of phasers and teleporters and things that no reader can reasonably guess how they actually work, um, then it's very hard to work out what, what the options for the murderer are. So it pretty much had to have everything behaving in plausible scientific terms. Um, a lot of that meant basically keeping the technology quite minimal. A lot of it's not only current, but has been around for 50 years or more. Um, like ion engines uh, get a mention, but uh, they were, I think, um, thought of in theory in kind of the very early 20th century. And then there was one actually up and running in the 70s. So um, some of it's lower tech than it sounds. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, a lot of people think that the kind of science side of things is an odd combination with uh, an Agatha Christie style mystery, but actually she was um, very uh, knowledgeable about um, basically poisons. Um, yes. She worked as a dispenser in World War One. She really knew what she was doing. Uh, it was praised in medical journals at the time. Um, so I, I like to think of it as more of a continuation of that than a, a completely different direction. Right. Yeah. Uh... No, definitely. I read about her as well. I think I've read all of her books myself. And she she did work in World War One, as you mentioned, so she did know a lot about poisons, which is why uh, a lot of the murders in her books are through poisoning. And uh, then with the, um, you know, with, with the characters then in your book, Ten Little Astronauts, are they, did you take any, you know, references to characters in the original book and then there were none and have, you know, similar backgrounds in your novel? Or did you have completely different characters with different backgrounds in your book? I don't know if, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it, it does. <laughs> and mine have um, similar names. 
So uh, you'll probably spot an equivalent character for each one. In, um, okay, cool. In and then there were none. Uh, but they're they're not especially um, kind of they, they're not meant to be literally those characters or copies of those characters. Um, but I, I think there are nods to them if you uh, look closely at the kind of details that crop up. Um, I don't want to say too much because uh, right. a lot of people, once they twig that there are um, direct parallels, start to wonder, like, well, is the person who done it in the original also the person who done it in this one? And I, I don't want to spoil it either way. Right. Yeah, yeah. We won't uh, get get into that. But then are there any other references maybe that you can say uh, that are two and then there are none without spoiling anything? Some of the murder methods are um, equivalent as well. Uh, so um, there's there's an axe in there very early on. OK, <laughs> wow, that's uh, that sounds very dangerous. <laughs> so uh, so this book, as you mentioned, it's uh, as I said, it sounds fascinating. And so where can people find the book then? Because what I'm reading on the website that it can be found on a few places, which is good. Yeah, it's um, it's available pretty much anywhere you care to uh, get books online. You will be able to order it from any physical bookshop and a handful uh, pretty much near me will actually have copies on the shelf. Um, I think Waterstones Portsmouth has some signed ones uh, at the moment because I popped in the other day. Um, so yeah, basically uh, bookshops and the internet are your best bet. You know, sorry to to keep it you know really narrow, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, those are both good options. Yeah, no, that's that's cool, and it's uh, you know properly published. <laughs> and is it is it available on any ebooks yet, or is it is it mainly just uh, uh, published uh, well on hard copy? Oh no, it'll be anywhere you can get ebooks, um, like uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, Google Play. I think it's even in the like the Microsoft store, which I don't know if anybody uses, but it's there if you do. You know. um, yeah, basically the the whole range. Okay, so it's available for Kindle as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Okay, so it sounds like it's in a lot of places. So that that book again is Ten Little Astronauts, and I do intend to read it myself. I may have read it by the time um, we you know we record or this this interview is uploaded. And uh, okay, so that's it for the uh, book podcast. <laughs> but uh, now to the adventure games podcast. Now you have written other other books as well. Um, so uh, you know you have uh, you know a few other books as which I'd love to talk to you about. But uh, you've also written some interactive fiction as well, which is uh, you know and they all look really interesting as well. But now you've just released a new game, I believe. Uh, so what, what's the name of the latest interactive game that you've released? My latest game is Draw 9, uh, which started off as my entry for Intro Comp last year. Um, okay. Yeah, it, uh, it has you playing as a magician who uses enchanted cards to cast spells. Uh, you get nine at random at the beginning of the game, and you have to... Um, both uh, make them last and keep your options open by not exhausting your supply of one suit uh, too early, uh, while also responding to pretty much any situation you encounter that needs you to use one of these cards over the course of the game. Okay, so you need to use... So you have nine cards at the beginning, right? And mm -hmm. you, use, you use these cards throughout the story. Yeah, they're, uh, they're used up whenever you need to cast a spell. Okay. And so can you use any of the cards then throughout, uh, when you need to cast a spell? 
Well, uh, there are three suits, the steed, the spider, and the serpent. And um, partly through a brief description you get at the beginning and partly through trial and error, uh, you have to work out what those do and which situations uh, it's best to use them in. Um, and uh, because you've got a, a limited selection, you, you may only have one of um, some of these, um, which is uh, unlikely, but um, it, they are drawn by chance. Um, the okay. uh, the trick to kind of finding your way through the game and um, getting the outcomes you'd like is to uh, working out not only what the cards do, but uh, where you're likely to encounter situations um, that place your strengths. So if you have um, many, many cards that will help you uh, defeat monsters, you tend to want to go for um, wilderness areas rather than towns, that kind of thing. Okay, so they're kind of like a form of puzzle as well. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, the first time people play through, they'll probably be going through mostly for the story and just seeing what happens as they use up their cards. Uh, after that first playthrough, when you've got more of a handle on how the um, how the world is laid out and how the cards behave, you might be able to aim for a, a particular outcome and play as a particular sort of character. Okay, and uh, okay, so and then can, is it possible to die then if you select the wrong card? Maybe you need to go back again or. Under very, very specific circumstances, your character can die, um, but the story will never be cut short by your choice of card. You tend to get a, a less than ideal outcome and then move on uh, because you're on a journey throughout okay. the game. Um, so you'll always see the end of the journey. Your character might not necessarily survive. Okay. Um, sounds interesting. And how long has it take, did it take um, the players to play, generally speaking? It's a pretty short game. Um, I haven't exactly timed it. I've mostly just rushed through to check that all the uh, possible options lead to a complete story, and you don't um, you don't run into any dead ends because uh, there there shouldn't be any. Um, right. But I'd okay. say it's under half an hour. Okay. So if you it's... wanted something in just under half an hour and to keep us entertained. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a short game, and I I hope there'll be a good deal of uh, replay value to it. Um, I think there's something like eight possible outcomes to any sort of scenario in there, so uh, it's it's got a good amount of breadth to it. Okay, so, so that game is drawn line, yes. And uh, now, be before going to other interactive games, you mentioned at the beginning that you're probably best known for a game called Lovely P P uh, Tea Room, or what? What's the name of that again? <laughs> Uh, lovely pleasant tea time simulator. Yes, lovely pleasant tea time. That, that sounds very British altogether. <laughs> very cozy altogether. Yeah, the, um, the British Library um, recently uh, included it in a, a blog on British um, interactive fiction, uh, wow. along with some other um, tea-related things. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I believe the world's only competitive text-based tea party simulator. Wow. <laughs> okay. And so, what what can you tell us ab about this then? Um, so, it's a, you mentioned it's a tea party simulator. So, what can we do in this game? Well, uh, you can um, accept or reject uh, cups of tea. Uh, you can enjoy or you know decline um, Battenberg. Uh, you can pet or not pet the family cat. Uh, there's all kinds of social interactions for you to navigate, and each time you navigate one successfully, you get a point. 
Um, oh, okay. So, so there's like, a, is there a right and wrong option in the in the simulator depending on the circumstances? Yes. Okay. Um, there's. Uh, I also have been keeping track of high scores, uh, though just through Twitter. Basically, there's a hashtag. Uh, post a screenshot of the ending with your your score, um, and that'll create a record of how you did. I think the the world record is uh, 42 points. Uh, the average is about minus 990. <laughs> okay, so my uh, okay, wow, that sounds like a lot. I look forward to ch checking that out. And then again, there's obviously replayability with with this game as well. So when you uh, try, you know, you mentioned pet the cat, don't pet the cat, pet the cat in one uh, one scenario, then you go back and don't pet the cat. I've uh, be different outcome than I imagine. Oh, there, there's no replayability whatsoever. Oh, is there, oh, wow, well, I'm completely L wrong. Literally none. You, you cannot play the game a second time. Oh, really? Huh? You can't play it a second time? Nope. You uh, you make your choice and you stick with it. Okay, so you so you can't go back, you can't quit, exit out of the game and play the game again? Uh, no, that's uh, that's not an option. Oh, well, okay. Oh, wow, okay. So, that, that's, uh, so you just play it, so you better be very, very careful then. So when when you finish the game, is it possible to go back and replay it again? No, no. It, there there is no replayability. It is a, a hardcore tea time simulator. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so we better be very very careful with the choices you make then. <laughs> yeah, you you've got to really be sure you want to do what you're doing. Wow. Okay. Now I'm I'm going to be you know when I play it, then I'm going to be really really thinking about all the choices <laughs> in the game. Okay. Um. So that game, the name of that game again is Lovely Pleasant. Tea, well, I'll, I'll let you say it because I keep forgetting it. <laughs> it's a lovely, pleasant tea time simulator. Lovely, pleasant tea time simulator, but with just you know one time to play it. So wow, that's <laughs> um, okay. So now we can go through your other interactive uh, stories that you uh, you did. Now, as I was telling you earlier, that they all look interesting to me. Now, the first one that appears on your website and one that really caught my eye is Blacklight 1995. What can you tell us about this game? Uh, that was the first Twine game I wrote. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, that, that was, uh, I think, 2013, maybe even 2012, uh, using the Twine 1. Um, so there's uh, in some ways less to it than a lot of my other ones, but it is also, in a way, one of the more complete games in that um, it's got a, a branching path story um, with uh, variables that are tracked along the way and um, it's a, a dystopian sci-fi uh, so you are playing as a, um, a police officer in a police state uh, and um, one of the, the sort of more noteworthy sci-fi elements is that uh, people are um, becoming addicted to these kind of digital drugs, which are stored on SD cards that they slot into their heads. Okay. Um, okay, so it's, uh, you kicking up with uh, with that then. So now that sounds again fascinating. It, is that so? It's a dystopian sci-fi. Uh, would you say this kind of Maybe it might be a bit lazy comparison, but kind of like something like uh, Blade Runner or something like that, or is it very different to that? Yeah, I think it gets compared to Blade Runner a lot because it's uh, yeah. it's happening in a rainy sci-fi city, basically, and there's a lot of <laughs> um, cyberpunk stuff. Okay. 
And uh, and are you into cyberpunk yourself, um, January, when you read books or you watch movies or anything? Uh, I read Neuromancer ages ago, but um, yeah, it's probably not one of the, the genres I really gravitate towards. Okay. And, and so why did you choose this type of story as your first game, as first interactive fiction game set in cyberpunk, rainy city, uh, dystopian sci-fi? Was there any particular reason why you chose this? I think there is one, but it's it's probably a huge spoiler for the ending. Okay. So um, <laughs> basically, you get to go through a uh, playthrough to the end, and um, that'll uh, that'll probably give you a clue as to to why that uh, setting was uh, a handy option for this particular story. Okay, now I'm definitely intrigued. <laughs> and uh, so, what what can you tell us of the main character then, of the police officer? Um, what type of person? Is he in general, or she? Well, that's uh, that's largely up to the player. Um, you don't get a uh, a description of yourself um, at the beginning. You're not really shoehorned into a, a particular series of options. It's got the typical Deus Ex kind of approach where um, you can just gun your way through the whole game, or you can um, try and sneak through. Uh, okay. So that's probably the the main way you can kind of um build up your character throughout but uh there are no um there's no character creation or sort of stats either so it's uh it's very much how you choose to interpret it as the player okay uh, what type of other characters do we get to meet in the game again without spoiling anything <laughs> well um one of the uh the main kind of um things about the setup for the game is that you're initially in contact with a, a kind of um, dispatcher or, or um, someone at headquarters who uh, tells you where to go. And they uh, point you towards, um, I think it's a, a factory or a warehouse that's being vandalized and that's your kind of initial mission. Um, very quickly, it turns out that something else is going on because the um, communication between you and the police headquarters is cut down. Um, so you're you're largely on your own for the game. Uh, okay. Pretty much everybody else you meet um, it behaves very erratically and uh, wears a sheep mask. Um, so uh, that's that's kind of your your first clue that something is going on. Um, and then for the rest of the game, you unravel the mystery. Okay. Cool. And and then what about uh, the locations? I know you talked a little bit about the setting. Uh, what can you tell us about the type of locations that we will go to as the police officer? There are a couple, but they're uh, mostly sort of factory and warehouse type areas. You're in um, an industrial region of the city and you uh, you pretty much don't leave it throughout the game. So you're, you're stuck in one area uh, without backup, essentially. Okay, so you're on your own. You need to find out what's, what's going on, cover the mystery. <laughs> And um, and then how how long would more or less do you know if it would take players to play to say it was a complete game? Is that how that? Blacklight nineteen ninety five you can actually get killed off um, quite easily. So uh, start to finish if you know where you're going, it's um, probably in the region of twenty minutes or half an hour. I'm not, it, maybe even less if you you really kind of know where to go. Um, if you're playing, uh, coming to it, never having played it before, um, it's 
probably more like an hour's worth of uh, exploration and trial and error. Okay. Um, yeah, well, you know, I'm looking forward to trying it out myself. And have you made any, uh, now I don't know if you can or not, any sequel or any other games set in this uh, setting uh, by any chance? I've been planning a sequel for ages, and I've made several attempts at starting it. Um, but I'm I'm not positive that one will be interactive fiction. I recently started using um, some software called GeoDevelop 5 that lets me do um, mobile games and uh, just little HTML5 browser things. And I think okay. it would be um, kind of interesting to give the player a bit more freedom, let them actually walk around an area um, graphically. And right. uh, it would also offer a bit more action. Um, there are scenes in Blacklight 1995 where your character fights someone, uh, but it's all um, which options you choose. Whereas I, I think it would be interesting to have a kind of top-down um, sort of deal. Okay. Uh, okay, well, this uh, I look forward to hearing more about that. Now, it, uh, you have plenty of other games that you've made that are on your website. Now, I don't know how much you can say about this next it's three games actually that i wanted to just very quickly ask you about the uh, project pandora series or pandora pandora uh project pandora i know there's three of these and now i'm guessing they're probably the less we know about this going in the better <laughs> um yeah but, yeah i mean go ahead. the only thing i can really say about uh any of the project pandora games is uh don't open the box don't that's, open the box. Yeah, that's kind of the main the main tip for doing well is just there's always going to be a box. Don't open it. Okay, so sounds easy, you know. Just tell us not to open a box. We don't open. I presume that there's more to it. That it's more, you know, kind of challenging than that. No, Amy, I'll probably open the box immediately just to. Uh, most just people to, do, yeah. <laughs> because you know, someone says you know, it's probably you know, if it's saying you know, in a don't press the red button. And I'd be like, you know, I really want to press this red button just to see what happens. <laughs> but, um, okay, so there are three of these games as well, Project Pandora, uh, well, and Pandora 2 and Project Pandora 3. Uh, now, it says here you need to play the original first before playing Project Pandora 2. Is that correct? Yeah, you have to play one before two. Uh, you can play three at any time, but I'd, I'd recommend tackling them in order. Okay, well, I'll try them out as well. Again, I don't want to spoil anything that... <laughs> um, so again, don't open the box. Sounds easy enough. Um, I'll let you know how I get on. And now there is another game that's, that's interested me was Marooned. Um, what can you tell us about this game? Hey, Marooned, I wrote in a day. Um, wow. Based, yeah, just as, as part of a challenge. Uh, and that's um, the the first one I did that has this kind of um, looping type structure to it. So you're um, you're playing through one day at a time, essentially deciding uh, what actions you want to to take um, on each day. Uh, but it's divided between um, there's a, a portion uh, set on a uh, desert island where your character has been shipwrecked, uh, which is essentially their dreams. And then um, during the day, you're trying to um, get them readjusted to life in civilization, finding a job and whatnot. And the two storylines um, kind of mirror one another. And so, again, is this similar? Does this have like a branching narrative as well? Or is this a little bit different? 
Oh no, this this one's different in that you uh, you don't kind of start at the beginning of the narrative and then navigate your way through branches. Um, the whole story is uh, pretty much dictated by um, what actions you choose to perform, uh, like which resources you gather, how you use them. Um, okay. Uh, basically, to reach your goals, and uh, the game kind of recognizes how how close you are to achieving those goals based on kind of what you've done like you can uh, when you're on the island you can build fish traps to um you can either kind of catch fish directly or you can get wood to build traps to catch fish automatically that kind of thing um so it's uh, it's which you you prioritize um and typically you'll see the same words again and again each day but the story is um kind of what you're doing across multiple days okay and then in the real world, then you have uh, what 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 can what can we expect with uh, choices then in the real world? What what kind of things? You mentioned that you have to go about looking for a job and just you know the day day to day stuff. So what kind of things can we expect to choose from? Uh, typically, there. it's um, you uh, you'll get phone calls or, or messages. It's been a while since I played through, so I can't remember <laughs> which. Um, you can check for ads in the newspaper. Uh, your character has a computer, so you can search online there. Um, you're pretty much just picking things in their um, house or apartment or wherever. Okay. Okay. Well, I look forward to checking that out. Now, as I said, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a, you know, everything there looks kind of different as well on your website. Now, there's another game that I saw called Outpost, which caught my eye. And, uh, well, again, I'll let you talk about it. So what, what can you tell us about this game? Outpost is kind of a weird one, and I've been meaning to come back to uh, the idea behind it for, uh, again, a long time now. I've never quite got around to it. Um, but there are brief um, branching path narratives in there. Uh, the first one puts you in a situation where um, you're playing a character in a recurring setting called the Alter World which is a, um, a parallel dimension that's been discovered in an alternate 1930s. Um, it's, uh, there's no sun, it's completely pitch black, and um, it, it's a bit of a, a kind of um, damp, uh, pitch black desert, basically. Uh, and there are horrible creatures wandering around in the dark. Uh, so you start off um, in this kind of infinite expanse of darkness, uh, and it is literally infinite. You can walk as far as you like in any direction, um, but you will probably get eaten. Uh, and you um, you find this outpost, which has a, a light on it, kind of like a lighthouse. It's a, a landmark. And you have to um, search the surrounding area for a part for a device that will let you travel back to the regular world inside the outpost. Um and uh, that's that's pretty much how the game plays out. You stumble around in the dark and occasionally encounter things, and then you get options as to what you do about them. Okay. And uh, and yeah, okay. So again, you can it's meant to get eaten by monsters in the game. Then you can <laughs> die in this game. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's pretty unforgiving actually. Uh, <laughs> there's if you um, play through multiple times, you will be able to work out what what works and what doesn't. Um, which should hopefully get you through the game. But a, a lot of people, um, I find, uh, just wander off into the dark and get caught by something. And, um, yeah, never never quite twig what 
what would have been the right option, um, which is basically, um, I, th I think it's in the introduction of the game, but if you can't see the light on the outpost, you've gone too far. Okay, so we have that, at, uh, as you mentioned, like a landmark. Yeah, it's it's pretty much the only landmark. The way I set it up involved a whole lot of if-else statements to work out whether you were kind of um, northeast, south or west of that place, and then give you a, a description to um, kind of tell you which which direction you see the light. So you, okay. you'll always know um, which way to head to get back to it, uh, as long as you're kind of paying attention to that description. Okay. Well, again, another one I look forward to checking out. Now, this next game was, I believe, was the first game that I noticed uh, of yours, which uh, I have to get Adventure X. And it's uh, Gert's Loinhammer's Most Exponential Adventure. And the thing that really intrigued me about this game is the amount of endings. <laughs> so do you want to let everyone know how many endings are in this game? Yeah, Girth Linehammer's Most Exponential Adventure, the full version, has 512 alternate endings. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, the demo only has 256. Oh, yeah, no, that's just, uh, you know, that's that's not a lot at all, you know? Yeah, no, peanuts. <laughs> exactly, yeah. How, how did you manage to, to write a game with 512 endings? <laughs> I uh, I pretty much just did it all um, manually. It's uh, There's only one route through to each ending. Um Basically, at the very beginning of the game, you get two choices. Uh, those two choices lead to four possible choices. Those four lead to eight, those eight to 16, up until you get to 512. Um, so it's really just 512 uh, linked stories, in a way. Um, and which option you pick each time determines which ending you get. Well, and how, how did you keep track of, of everything of each choice as well? Because I mentioned it keeps going from eight to 16, 16 and to you know 32 did you know how did you keep track of all of the choices all of the branching narratives without going crazy <laughs> uh it was kind of a matter of approaching it a bit differently to the 248 kind of deal um oh, okay. instead of actually writing like here are your first two options and now i'm going to write the four that lead off from those and i'm going to write the eight that lead off from those because i'd lose track of what had happened mm. you know several passages ago when i been working on something completely different. Uh, what I did was I wrote one storyline beginning to end, um, just going through each choice in turn. So the the very first storyline I wrote is that you are um, Girthlin Hammer, Dungeon Lord. You're not happy with how your life is going at the moment. Uh, you're one of your first options to sit around moping. Um, the second set of choices you get also includes the option to sit around moping doing nothing. Uh, the, the third one, um, you can sit and do nothing. So basically the first storyline I wrote beginning to end was just you sit at home all day, don't do anything, the end. And okay. then I took a step back and wrote an alternate ending to that storyline where, okay, you know what? Actually, after pretty much a whole day of moping around, you are going to go off and do something. Uh, but it's 9 p.m., the sun is setting, ah, uh, nuts. Um, and that's the end. And then I took a further step back and wrote the... Um, the final set of choices with the two endings that led off from that. So I just kept um, kind of adding adding branches rather than trying to actually build it up from beginning to end, um, not writing a single ending before I had all the options laid out. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes a little bit more sense. 
<laughs> what I would have done. I mean, it still um, took something like two years to, to do. It's 181,000 words in total. It's like two novels worth of text. Wow. So it took it took you two years to, to write. I can, I can imagine that, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing it didn't take you longer, actually. Um, I was uh, working on it fairly steadily, and I made it my uh, project for NaNoWriMo for, I think, three of those events, which was 50,000 words each time. Um, okay. So, so that was partly what kept it going. Uh, the other thing was I did have a publisher for this one at one point, um, so I had an incentive to finish it. And okay. uh, that company since closed down, which is annoying, um, but I'm still oh, hoping to get out there somehow. Okay, so is the game available now, or is it just a demo that's available? At the moment, it's just the demo. Um, I'm hanging on to the other 256 endings, uh, <laughs> basically, um, just because I, I'd like to keep it as a, a non-published thing that somebody might be interested in. Uh, but I do take the full game to events. So I've had it at um, Adventure X, uh, Indies Unplayed, Reading Comic Con, I think Winchester Comic Con. And I've also done live versions at, um, I do it at local open mic nights. And I was one of the uh, Fringe Theatre panelists for EGX Rest, where I, I did a couple of run throughs of it. Um, so there are ways of uh, trying it out if you want to see the whole thing. Um, okay. But it isn't up there online anywhere at the moment, I'm afraid. Okay, at least we have the demo with the 256 endings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, that's still like one novel's worth of text. Uh, right, yeah. And I think the demo includes some of my favourite endings. Um, okay. So yeah, there's there's some fun stuff in there if you go looking. Well, I mean, there's fun stuff even if you don't go looking for it, but it includes my favourites. Okay. And so have you been in contact with any possible publishers about the game you know, at these events that you just mentioned? Oh, I've, I've been uh, approaching people and sending it off to pretty much anyone can, can think of. Um, I think they mostly see Gerth Loinhammer's most exponential adventure and don't reply to my emails. <laughs> right. Yeah, they just see the name and go, okay, I don't know yeah, what this nope. is about. <laughs> and uh, have, you, have you thought about changing the name then or is that, is that sticking? Is, are you still sticking with that name? I think enough people know about it now that I'd like to stick with the name. Um, right. It's also, with with actual players and readers, uh, that's frequently the first thing they see, and they go, ah, oh, this, sounds, this sounds funny, and then they play through, and it is. Um, so I think the name does its job in that respect. Um, right. It's, yeah, just, uh, I think, getting, getting people to consider it seriously. The other problem is that um, I think it's too much of a game for book publishers, and it's too much of a book for game publishers. Right. Um, so, because it, it fills pretty much the same niche as the the fighting fantasy game book type things, where you've uh, you've got one story to explore. It's not very uh, big on the whole kind of character creation or um, you know stats uh, leveling up kind of thing. It's also not just a, a linear story. Um, so nobody is maybe directly equipped to deal with it. Um, right. So yeah, it's a, a bit of a challenge to find somebody who take that on, but I'm I'm hoping I'll get one eventually. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, the best of luck with that. And have have you considered going, um, you know, to like the self-publishing route or with Kickstarter or anything else that you can use to get funded from, uh, you know, the public uh, by any chance? If yeah, I I have thought about that, um, and it's looking like a strong possibility, but. Part of the uh, problem there is that it's an absolutely huge thing to edit and format. So I'd quite like right. somebody to uh, take care of that who's maybe 
specialising more in that kind of area. Um, right. I mean, Tens of Astronauts was actually crowdfunded uh, because Unbound, the publisher, uh, puts out all their books that way. They've got their own platform for it. Um, okay. And they are actually the only publisher I know of who's done an original game book recently. Um, they had Not a Wolf, uh, which is by the... Um, uh, it's the Twitter account, Sick of Wolves, um, the, the sort of office worker who is definitely not just a wolf in a suit. Um, so uh, I'm quite tempted to send it to them as well. Uh, the main reason I haven't is that Attended Last Knots only came out quite recently, and I'm, I'm not sure I want to do another book crowdfunding campaign quite so soon after people very kindly forked out money for this last one. Right, to give it some more time. Um yeah, uh, yeah, well, look, you've, I think you've already proven yourself now, at least with 10 Little Astronauts in the books, and then with all of these other interactive games, uh, you know, at least you have, you can demonstrate you have experience, you know what you're doing, and it's uh, definitely with, and have, has anybody reached the 256 endings, you know, that have played demo, do, do you know? Oh, um, I actually sent the full thing out to a limited number of people uh, to get feedback, and I, there are people out there who've gone through the entire thing. Um, wow and did they tell you how how long it took them i they didn't know and i would imagine that they're probably reaching an ending uh hitting back and then trying a parallel storyline um kind of the same way i wrote it so um they're probably not reading uh stories literally beginning to end every time because that would be an absolutely ludicrous uh (laughs) amount of time i think it's it's got to be into the uh, millions of words for that, I reckon. Wow, that's, that sounds huge. <laughs> I think that's well, I mean, yeah, because you'd, you'd be reading the uh, the first passage 512 times. Um, yeah. And then each of the follow-on passages 256 times. So it, it would, if you literally just read every word in there every time, it would add up. But right. I think, you know, once people know how it starts, they don't need to read that beginning passage again. Right, yeah, they just go through it quickly. Yeah, no, that makes more sense. And okay, well, look, best of luck with that. And that's again, Gert Loinhammer's most exponential uh, adventure. Uh, yeah, I have to try uh, that myself. A, a lot to type, but uh, I hope nice and easy to remember. Yeah, well, I can put like G L M E A to, to help people remember. But but no, look forward to trying that out myself. Now, one of the other games as well that I noticed was Inquisition. Now that just the name Inquisition, probably people think of the Spanish Inquisition as well. Um, now, apparently this uh, this was for this was written for the Flash Fiction Month 2016. So mm. what can you tell us about this game? Oh, that's uh, another one I wrote in a day. Um, it's uh, sort of smaller than Maroon, though. It's um, only a thousand words, uh, or possibly not quite a thousand words in total. Um, okay. So... Um, yeah, you are playing as uh, an Inquisitor in a, a setting where demons literally exist and you are um, out there trying to stop them um, quite heavy-handedly, I should mention. And um, again, it's um, kind of you are playing as, I think, a specific character. You get a, a name that you mention at the beginning when you're, you're knocking on someone's door. Um and basically this this one encounter plays out where you, you get significant choices about how you go through it. So, so yeah, so that's in a fantasy police state then. So it's not, it's not based on uh, the Spanish Inquisition or anything like that or any real 
events is or no, it, it's pretty uh, high fantasy. So it's um, it, magic is uh, reasonably common in there, or it's implied to be reasonably common. In a thousand words, you don't really get a lot of chance for world building. Okay, yeah. So um, so to mention, it's uh, it was written in in a day. So again, that's pretty impressive. And now the final game I wanted to ask you about is again a cup my eye is the Damon L Wakes Wi-Fi Simulator 2018. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what uh, now, what what can you tell us about this? <laughs> okay, that is um, basically a uh, simulation of what it takes to get my Wi-Fi working, uh, written while my Wi-Fi wasn't working. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've I've been there at least with my Wi-Fi uh, several times, but. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, you know British Wi-Fi is like the Irish Wi-Fi, but uh, <laughs> but so what? What? How do we? What, what's what's in this game then? So is it is it literally trying to get the Wi-Fi to work? Yeah, basically your options are to uh, turn your computer's wireless card uh, on and off again, and to turn the router on and off again, and. Um, if you get very, very lucky and uh, do the, the right sequence of turning things on and off again, uh, the Wi-Fi will work. It, it, it does. It is possible to get it working, I should mention. Oh, a lot is of it? People, okay. <laughs> a lot of people play through and think, oh, it's just, you know, it's never going to work. It's a joke. No, there, there is there is a way of winning this game. Um, it's just extremely frustrating. Okay, so this was based on your own experience of trying to get your own Wi-Fi to work. So it's a, uh, is, is this the way to get Wi-Fi to work in general or just yours? <laughs> I uh, I've never uh, tried to get anyone else's working, so I can't say. <laughs> no, because as I said, this could this could come in handy if uh, because I've tried, you know, with other wi- Wi-Fi companies as well here in Ireland that it's it has been very very frustrating. So if this can help, then certainly I will I will try it. And um, is it is it uh, so is it, is it as annoying as in real life? <laughs> well, yeah, it I, work? I think. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's as faithful as possible, so I hope it's exactly as annoying as in real life. <laughs> no, I think it will be. But I'm kind of curious now because uh, if you know to try the different options, and can you call customer service at some point in in this game, or is this all yourself trying to get it to work? No, there's. Uh, I've never found any point in calling anybody, so it's that's you true. just turn things on <laughs> and off again. Yeah, that's true. In my in my case, they just sent uh, another router. Uh, even though I kept asking them to send a technician, but they kept sending a router, and of course it didn't work. So, um, okay, well, we've gone through a few of your games. Is there any game that I have missed that I haven't mentioned that you would like to talk about? Um, well, just uh, building on the last one, I, I feel as though I should mention that I also made um, uh, Damon L. Wake's Wi-Fi Simulator 2018 Simulator 2019, which is a, <laughs> a simulation of Wi-Fi Simulator 2018. Um, which is probably more frustrating than trying to get the Wi-Fi to work. But um... so, so what's the difference? What's the difference between Simulator 1910? So it's, you said it's a simulator of your previous simulator. Yes. Um, so it, it's a game that simulates playing the other game. Okay. And so you say it's more even more frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was annoying to make. Um, I think it's probably pretty agonizing to actually play. Well, I mean, you know, again, that makes me, uh, you know, very curious. I think the, the masochist in me wants to try it out. <laughs> well, I, I think you can win that one as well. I've just never bothered. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so that's uh, the Wi-Fi Simulator 2018, Simulator 2019, a simulator of a simulator. 
Mm-hmm. And how was he? he said it was annoying to make. Uh, how how exactly was it annoying to make then? I uh, I had to screenshot the uh, the first game uh, to get graphics for the second, and I kept forgetting to like put the mouse in the right place to indicate where the cursor was in Wi-Fi simulator simulator that kind of thing. Um, and then handling all the different but very similar images in there was uh, also a pain. So, um, yeah, it ended up being a, a bit more work than I expected for what was kind of a naff joke. Okay, so will you be doing something like this again? <laughs> I, I have considered doing um, Wi-Fi simulator, 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 uh, but I think I probably won't. <laughs> to, to go completely crazy. <laughs> so, um, so, so, yeah, so then I want to ask you, um, you know, before we finish, in general about writing... For uh, uh, so, so, what what are the main differences that you find writing for novels or novellas and writing for interactive fiction? Is there, are there any things that are uh, you know that you find that are particularly different or uh, between the two? For it differs more for some of them than for others because um, Maroon, for example, has an actual uh, fairly linear storyline um, that you find by uh, making use of the um, fairly huge range of options you have for you day-to-day within the game. Um, so although you can do pretty much anything you like at any time during the game and you're not kind of railroaded down one particular path, um, you are actually seeing the same story beginning to end that uh, most other people see, barring some very slight differences. Uh, but then for something like Exponential Adventure, it's a lot less like writing a um, linear novel or novella or short story because there's just such a huge range of endings. Like It's um, 256 of those possible stories won't have anything in common with the other 256 except the very first passage. Right. Um, so that's remarkably different to write. Um, it becomes much less about organizing kind of how you uh, how you get the character from the beginning to the end and much more about well uh, what range of options will be interesting is this too similar to a, a different one I've already done um, should uh, should this character be able to be in this place given that they were halfway across the world 10 minutes earlier that kind of thing um, I settled on yes for the last one because he's a wizard but um, you know, it's it's something you have to think about that literally never comes up um, with a a straightforward linear book. I mean, you could still have a character who, uh, you know, whoops, you you mentioned they were on holiday in the previous chapter and now they're here with no explanation. But that's um, not quite the same problem as actually having to manage their entire uh, storyline into essentially parallel realities. Right. Okay. And do you have a preference for writing one or the other? So you've just published 10, 10 Little Astronauts and then also now Drawn Line. So do you have a preference for writing either novels or interactive fiction, or do you like writing both? Uh, I like writing both. Um, I think I probably produce more interactive fiction at the moment, um, but that's uh, largely just because it's um, kind of handy as a, a portfolio building thing. And I think you can also get what seems like a more substantial uh, bit of work out of fewer words, uh, mm. especially if you're doing the marooned kind of setup where um, you're looping through the same, uh, same with Tea Time Simulator, actually, that you, you're um, setting up a limited series of options that are displayed to the reader in a sensible 
kind of um, way, uh, rather than um, you know eighty thousand words that are all going to be read in order. Right. Okay. And uh, uh, then on your website as well, you also have a list of, I believe, tutorials for Twine for beginners. So. Um, what, so what, what advice would you give to anyone who would say wants to write interactive fiction as well? Is there anything in particular that you would, uh, tell them about using Twine or is there anything they should look out for? Um, kind of plugging my own work here, but I, I would recommend the tutorials. Um, they, uh, Twine for Beginners covers pretty much everything, um, I think think you'd need to uh to jump in and there's really not a lot to cover actually uh i think the the first one's called uh, getting started in four clicks because that's literally all it takes to get your um first story going and um there's not really a lot of technical knowledge you need for that uh the learning curve for twine is very shallow so um once you're set up to do something like um Gerthlorn hammer's most exponential adventure despite the size doesn't use anything technically complicated it's uh, just hyperlinks pointing to passages which is incredibly easy to do in twine um, okay. and once you can do that uh first of all you've got all the tools that um Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston had available to them when writing Fighting Fantasy. You could literally write a Fighting Fantasy book in Twine um, with no more uh, knowledge than how to put links in. And uh, if you do want to add more like um, tracking variables, uh, so whether or not the player picked up a key or how many hit points they have, that kind of thing, that's pretty easy to add in as well, but you can tackle it when you want to. Um, it's not like uh, I've had a go with Unity and I felt like you pretty much had to know um, a decent amount of C-sharp just to get started with it. It's uh, it's nothing like that. You can pretty much just jump in. Right. Okay. And then is there, you know, you've written different genres as well, and you've written, you know, humor stories and uh, more serious stories. Is there a particular genre or type of story that you prefer that you really like writing that you think, yeah, no, this is, I've got it now. Um, or do you just like writing different types, different genres? Um, I like writing a, a range of different genres. I think my favourite probably is humour at this point. Anything short I do tends to be humour. Um, like after uh, after Inquisition, when I kind of um, tried out doing... Uh, my goal for that thousand-word story was to give the player as many options as possible um, within the thousand words, so they're not just kind of picking one or two paths with no real um, significance Um and from there, because Inquisition is a serious one, uh, the next year when uh, Flash Fiction Month set the same interactive fiction challenge, I did Ultraviolent Unicorn Deathmatch of Destiny, which has even more options, um, but is just completely nuts. Uh, you, you're um, potentially gambling on the outcome of a um, an arena deathmatch between unicorns with chainsaws for horns, um, <laughs> which usually gets a laugh. Um, but I think writing humour kind of... Um, frees you up from having to explain why too many times, so it's it's useful for short things. Right. Okay. And, uh, okay, I think we're nearly... Uh, um, and actually, before I... So the aspect of your future plans, uh, there's another game we just saw called Spring Rain, which um, it's, it looks very interesting. What, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, uh, Spring Rain was quite an early April Fool's joke I did. Um <laughs> It's based on, I think, a, a T.S. Eliot um, 
quote which was uh, it's the one that has April is the cruelest month in it for obvious reasons uh, but yeah it's um, it, it's uh, an April Fool's joke set during a zombie apocalypse basically um, okay yeah, that's probably features. another one I can't say too much about without uh, just completely Spoiling. ruining the ending Right, yes, says on the website it features an extremely peculiar zombie apocalypse. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out all of these, uh, Dan. So now you mentioned that you were making a sequel, or you're trying to make a sequel to Black Light 1955, 1995 on mobile with graphics. Uh, is, is that still in the pipeline? Are you still working on that? I mean, I've got the uh, project on my computer. Um, at the point I left off, I had... Um, Basically, you can move the player around, you can shoot, and enemies will uh, pathfind their way towards you. Um, but I don't have a whole lot of experience uh, with GDevelop yet, so um, the next step would probably be making sure I can put together a fairly large project uh, with essentially levels. You'd need to be able to move from uh, room to room and corridor to corridor and have the game track everything and uh, also load up um, how movement works again. Right. Because uh, everything I've done so far with that was, um, I had uh, Cookie Cracker, which was another April Fool's project where you're, um, it's Cookie Clicker, but you're trying to uh, break open the cookie by reducing its structural integrity to zero. Um, and uh, Flappy Bard, where you, uh, it's Flappy Bird basically, but you're playing a Shakespeare's disembodied head. Okay. <laughs> so okay. that's the kind of thing I'm up to so far. So uh, Blacklight 1996 or whatever might be a, a way off yet. Okay, so so those are two other games, or what you're working on now, or or what's uh, okay? I can ask you now. So what what are you working on? What do you plan on doing next? Uh, there's um, something I've just entered into Intercomp 2019, uh, which is Gallery Gals Architectural Adventure. Uh, you're playing as a superhero whose uh, power is to spontaneously transform into an art gallery, but only once <laughs> and not back again. Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, you can, so you you can do this. Again. You, you can transform into an art gallery at any time, uh, but you probably shouldn't. Okay, you can't transform back to the superhero. No, like, if, if you turn into an art gallery, uh, you are now an art gallery, that ends the game. Okay. <laughs> well, very curious. So I look forward to hearing more about that, So. Uh, so where can do you have a you have a website then for all of these games and for your all, all your works? Um, the uh, main place to go would be damonwakes.wordpress.com. Um, I've got a little tab at the top labeled interactive. Um, so if you click that, you'll get the main lot of things. There's uh, I've also recently started using itch primarily for stuff. Um, that needs, uh, like the, the GDevelop HTML5 games, um, I can't really host on Philomelo, which is the other the other service I use uh, for the, the Twine stuff. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's my own website, damonwakes.wordpress.com, uh, and there's itch, uh, which is itch.io forward slash damonwakes, or something along those lines, but you can find me on itch, basically. Okay, yeah, I'll try, try and include uh, uh, the links on the show notes. And then, do you have um, any social media then, where people can find you? Yeah, I use uh, Twitter a fair bit. I'm at Damon Wakes. It's nice and easy to keep track of. And nice. uh, I've also got a, a Facebook page that I think is Author Damon Wakes. Like, um, 
which I use less, to be honest. Facebook's kind of a, a faff. Um, but, you know, uh, everything from my blog will get posted there as well. So if you uh, if you like and follow the page, you should get updates. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll try and reply to comments and things on there, but I don't pay any special attention. Okay. And, uh, okay, well, I think that's it from for me then. You've answered all of the questions that I've had. So then before we go then, I will leave it up to you. Is there anything that you would like to say to anybody potentially listening, any game players or readers or publishers maybe, <laughs> or anybody at all, that's anything at all that you'd like to say to finish off? Yeah, well, uh, if any publishers are listening, um, please do take a look at Growth Hammer's Most Exponential Adventure. It's finished and would cost almost nothing to uh, to put out there as a game. Um, for anybody who's just you know a regular person listening, uh, you might also be interested in Flash Fiction Month. Um, I'll be writing a story a day uh, over the course of July, every July. Um, so uh, wow. yeah, follow, follow me wherever and you'll get a story a day for the whole month. Okay, I look forward to that then. So thank you very much, Damon. I think that's, that's it then. So the very best of luck with your future work. And I look forward to checking out all of these games and Ten Little Astronauts as well. So best of luck. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you. So that was my interview with Damon L. Wicks. A huge thank you to Damon for joining me. I really enjoyed our chat. And I would really recommend that people try out his games and check out his books as well. I just finished reading Ten Little Astronauts and I really, really enjoyed it. It had me guessing. Now I've read and then there were none, but this is different enough that I wasn't able to guess the ending and how it would end. If you like uh, sci-fi, if you like Agatha Christie, if you like murder mysteries or thrillers or any one of those, I would really recommend that you try it out. It's a really well-written murder mystery. And in the version that I read, there was also a short story detective sci-fi as well, which was really, really interesting in which the detectives don't sleep. So that was a really interesting concept as well. So I recommend people try that out as well check it out you can check it out at all major bookstores and online and for ebooks as well and also you can check out his interactive fiction games which we talked about and which all sound very very interesting very different and very unique he's really creative damon elwigs and i look forward to meeting him at adventure x as well this year so and uh now i did mention last week that i'd be joined by yan sarah but he is postponing his Kickstarter for 13 minutes to midnight until about next month. So I will be uploading my interview with him uh, when his Kickstarter was released or more or less around the same time. So meanwhile, next week I will be joined once again by Thomas Bex and we will be discussing the latest adventure game news and adventure games announced that we find interesting. And I will also be reviewing Gibus, a Hutsulu adventure, as I have just finished that game as well. So, um, so yeah, so please join me then. So have a good weekend and a good week, everyone. And I'll speak to everyone next Friday. So bye. <music>
like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you